The Get This Podcast is brought to you by my WordPress web development agency brand, K2 Creative. You can visit getthispodcast.com slash K and the numeral two. That's getthispodcast.com slash K2 and click book a discussion for a free 30-minute discussion on anything related to WordPress. I'll be happy to help. Whether you need a new website or you have an existing site, you're not happy with the speed, you're not happy with the security, you need plugins updated, you're having issues, your developer ran off to Costa Rica, you don't know where to find him or her, we can help. My team builds websites that drive millions of page views a year. We can help with membership, e-commerce. If it's in WordPress, we can make it happen. Visit getthispodcast.com slash K2 and click the book a discussion link and I'll be happy to help with whatever you need in WordPress. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Kautzman with the podcast Get This. It's the show about things people love. I'm coming to you from upstate Manhattan here in New York City on Monday, December 30th in the foul year of our Lord 2019. It's almost 2020. It's Man, it's almost the end of a decade. Incredible. And I'm joined by comedian Jason Paul. Jason, how are you? What's up, Kevin? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm ready to put this decade to bed. Yeah, same. I mean, it was wildly entertaining, though. You right. have to admit, like these last few years, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to be alive and see it. <laughs> and where are you right now, Jason? I'm in Los Angeles. Which is where we met. Yeah, which is where we met. Uh, I'm about a block away from the grocery store in which you see, saw me attempt to make grocery store patrons laugh at. Okay, so you're a comedian. This is the show about things people love. What do you want to talk about today on the show? I mean, I start by talking about comedy. I mean, I obviously love that. Um, Since I do it, like I said, in a grocery store, I think a lot of people don't realize. I mean, thankfully, there's been like media recently and like there's been a stand up comedy renaissance in like the past five or six years. I think a lot because of podcasts. So I think people are getting more familiar with, hey, how do comedians start? Yeah, they start by performing comedy in the strangest of places. Laundromats, arcades, bars, grocery stores. Exactly. And the grocery store is the weirdest one I've ever done it in. And I don't know if I would continue to do it in it if it wasn't so close to my apartment. But it is. It's at the Grandview Market. If anybody's in Los Angeles wants to check it out every Wednesday, there's like an open mic with actually talented musicians and then a few people like myself who do comedy there. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty an interesting space. You don't you don't usually do comedy in a place that bright, mm-hmm. that wide open, <laughs> that cavernous, and with just like people milling about and buying their groceries or having a drink after work or trying. I recently did it there, and Game Seven of the World Series was on behind me, and I was like, I don't stand it. Like you shouldn't pay attention to me. Like these guys behind me, this is everything their life has led up to is this moment. And I'm here telling dick jokes. Yeah, you just want to turn around and start calling pitches. Oh, that's a slider. That's a good slider there. 
Yeah. You have yeah, sometimes you have to if something like that's on the TV because it's like fuck, these people are here to watch the Laker game. Like I'm not going <laughs> to compete with LeBron James right now. <laughs> right. I'm an open micer and nobody here is nearly boozed up enough to really appreciate what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other problem with the grocery store, not enough alcohol. Right. So you're in West LA. You're in what is it? Mar Vista? I'm in Mar Vista. Yeah, a little place that I had no clue existed before I moved out here, but it's like it's it's nestled between Culver City and Venice, so it's actually like good access for the West Side and in, in LA and yeah. That that's where I've been the last couple of years. I really like it over there. I like that Bullmore and uh I have a story at some mm-hmm. point maybe I'll get it out where that that night where we met, that night got a little out of hand and uh one of my buddies got arrested. <laughs> That very what night. they didn't take him downtown, but he got handcuffed. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a story, man. When we okay, so I'm gonna I, I don't mean this is this podcast is an no, interview. Go it's about for you, it. But, yeah. I have to. If somebody gets arrested <laughs> near Mar Vista. I have to know. I don't know if I'm 86 from that Bullmore. I don't think so. But we <laughs> and I'm gonna keep this anonymous. But uh, I don't think I've told the the Captain White Claw story on the podcast yet. So I got a buddy who uh, just moved back to LA. I'm, a, I'm a, he's gonna remain nameless and. Uh, you know, good, good pal. Uh, and he, <laughs> I'm on the beach getting some sun and he says, he's texted me and he says, Hey, you want to go on a sailboat? And you know, I'm originally from North Dakota. I live in New York city. Somebody sends me a message and says, Hey, you want to go on, go on a sailboat, right? I'm in Venice. I'm like, I'm not going to say no. Right. So I say, yes, we end up on a sailboat with this guy, um, who's from Louisiana and, Looks a little worse for wear. Turns out his his mother had passed away a few years ago, and he he inherited some money and didn't do the best things with it. So I'm finding all this stuff out on the sailboat. We go out with his dog. There are maybe some party favors, but uh, before we before we got on the boat, <laughs> this is also my first encounter with White Claw. You know White Claw. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, yeah. it blew up this year. Yeah, there you go. So this is this is where I, you know I first encountered White Claw in the in the wild, and of course by the end of the night somebody ends up in handcuffs. Uh, <laughs> so we go pick up the White Claw. We go out on the boat. We're learning all this stuff. It's good. It's now it's party time. And we're going to go party. So that's where we met you. So we rolled back over to near where I was staying, and we're already kind of like it's it's all happening, right? It's uh, we're, we're you know we're we're getting we're we're lit up a little bit, and um, yeah, we ended up going bowling. And this guy was started started getting increasingly erratic. Not my friend, but his the friend with the mm-hmm. the sailboat. Uh, and and at one point in the evening, there was a dude on the other lane at the bowling alley, kind of an older guy with a couple of younger women. And this this guy like started talking to the ladies. This Captain White Claw guy mm-hmm. started talking to the ladies. <laughs> the older guy said, "You know, don't talk to them. You can't afford them." Then my other, <laughs> then my other friend, who's a sweetie and a bit of a diminutive, shorter Latin guy, Captain White Claw is a tall kind of uh, kind of white dude, scraggly looking white dude. Um, and then my other friend, you know, the, the shorter guy says, you know, you don't talk to them like that; they're not your property. Now this guy in the other lane <laughs> starts jawing. And I, you know, I go, I bowl because it's my frame, man. It's my turn to bowl. I got a bowl, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I go bowling. And I'm, you know, and I'm just whatever. I'm not. It's not my finest night on the lane. And I turn around, and Captain White Claw has the guy in the other lane in a full blown headlock. Oh my god! <laughs> now, you know what do you do? I mean, the night is the night is still young. It's not even that late. It's like ten thirty, and we're already into <laughs> we're already into the felonies. And and so, and then White Claw comes over to us, 
and he just makes this gesture. You can't see me, but you know that emoji, mm-hmm. like the shrug emoji? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just makes that gesture and disappears. And so <laughs> <laughs> and so we get moved to another lane, and then not not much later, the cops show up because this guy's pissed. And he points out my buddy and my younger, you know, my, my, my shorter buddy gets, I guess, got handcuffed. I didn't, I wasn't even around to see it because I just wandered off, right? Like the why, you know, smart guy. You know, yeah, I don't want, I don't want anything to do, do with this, you know? I, you know, I'm just bowling with these guys. Anyway, that was the night that I met you. And you, nice. <laughs> that's my, that's, so I don't know what the moral of the story uh, there is, but, you know, white claw in the, the wild. come to Mar Vista because <laughs> I didn't, apparently there's police activity that happens after 10 o'clock. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it was. It seems it, like a good full day. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, I, I got out unscathed, but it was uh, quite an evening. And I don't know if I think those days are I'm trying to put those days in the, the rearview mirror. But you never know. You know, somebody takes it on a, on a sailboat and you may end up uh, with some uh, some police around at the bowling alley. So, you, yeah, you, I remember, at you know, at the uh, at the open mic. What's the name of the grocery store? Uh, the Grandview Market. Grandview Market. And it's Wednesday night open mic. It's Wednesday night. Um, if you're around here, I think it starts at 7.30. Sign-ups an hour earlier than that. And it's actually, you know, in terms of open mics and the people there, it's a, fu- it's a fun hang. Because, like, you get occasionally people like you out from out of town who actually seem to appreciate it. And, uh, you know, the occasional uh, r- patron who is enjoying it, that's yeah. what you know, rarely makes it worth it because sure, sure, it, it's few and far between in LA. I'm sure some nights are are probably rough. And uh, do you do some other local, uh, you know, the open mics around town there? Absolutely. Like it's, you know, I, I'd say I'm out there five, five nights a week, um, you know, th- from little bars to spots in LA that have been getting big right now are like literally places that just open for open mic comedy. So you go online, you sign up for a slot, you're there for an hour and then like you're pushed out of there and it's like 10 people go up in the hour and then boom, you're out and a new round of 10 people come in to do comedy. Like, like I said, like comedy is getting really, really big in this town. And I'm sure in, L- in New York as well, like yeah. there these, it's gotta be like the podcasts and just like the <sighs> proliferation of Twitter and social media. It's like, everybody's funny. And then it's also like some people with other followings. You see people who are like, Oh, I have a YouTube channel. I'm going to now, go start doing comedy and it's stand up is I think it, it has the least barrier to entry to like be creative. Like it's honestly like, all right, I can roll out of bed, put my name on a list. And I can just go up and talk and that just like, boom, you're going to get a lot of people there. And it's great. I, personally, I'm like, obviously like more competition. I mean, but you got to be good anyway, but it's the, the amount of perspectives you see and the different types of people I met from doing comedy is insane. I would never have been exposed to all these different types of people with like backgrounds from like, oh, I was homeless to, oh, I come from an extremely rich family. Like you see everything. Comedy truly is like, boom. It's like anyone who's comes from any background and has this uh, inclination to try to make people laugh. That, that's where they end up. I love that. And I'm a huge fan of stand up. Maybe not the number one fan, but I'm a huge fan. And I think it is in a renaissance right now. It is a uniquely American art form. Obviously, it's global. But it, it goes back to, to something that America sort of popularized, right? They, they trace it yeah. back to uh, Mark Twain, some people say, was kind of one of the originals. And then, of course, you you know flash forward. You've got this old, the, the vaudeville thing. You have the, the warm-up acts, the MCs, and then you get – Right, like Lenny Bruce, and now you're into mm-hmm. this this new kind of art form that uh, 
I, you know, it's, it feels like it's needed now more, more than ever. I feel like there's something in the zeitgeist right now that screams, oh my God, please help me laugh. <laughs> like, yeah. no, give me permission. I, yeah. 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 And, and I think that is it, it comedy is also like, I mean, it's been weirdly like ground zero for culture wars now, which is just like, it's just, I, I think that speaks to more of just the general like angst among society at all that people are like literally getting mad at comedians for jokes when it's like, you gotta like point these guns elsewhere. Like this <laughs> yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> right. Well, like, you know, you're literally joking. That right. Whole, that's, that's the conceit of it all is this is a joke. Like I, we are not serious. Like right. this is to get a visceral response. This is a joke and I'm the clown. Yeah, yeah, and that's I'm, the other thing. It's the, like you can agree with me and laugh at me. That that <laughs> is your prerogative. Like, go for it. Right. You wouldn't want to take life advice really from Doug Stanhope. If you get something out of it, that's fine. And I love Doug Stan. He's one of my favorite comedians. But he doesn't position himself as a an authority <laughs> on how to no. live. You know, and that's yeah. the whole point. You wouldn't even want that. That's not even his job. No, I think people treat too many comedians like. Like life coaches when it's not that. I think there are some that like, all right, yeah, like uh, like a Joe Rogan. You probably can live like him and you're going to be healthier, happier and all that. But then a lot of like comedians, their talent on stage does not come through good life choices. Like even <laughs> like at the very right. base level of like getting a good story or thinking of something or like a lot of it comes from a fucked up thought or a fucked up thing that happened to you. And you have to use that. So uh, it's a very bizarre time we're living in where like and then there's just some comedians that have went totally like, all right, now I'm just going to I'm on Twitter. I'm a comedian, but I'm just going to say like real things about real issues. And it's like, I don't think people want that either. Like, it, it's, it, yeah, that, that that line has has become blurred, hasn't it? And there's I, I think John Stewart is partially. I don't want to say to blame for that, but that there was that moment where you had a generation getting their news from a clown. That's and, true. And it becomes a little, you know, it's, it's, it, there's some ambivalence. Like, what is this? How do we separate the comedy? I think, and I, and I like, you know, I like John Stewart. I respect John Stewart. It's none of this is, you know, but it's it, it, culturally, we've got to sort of figure out what the hell is going on. You know, so you have Joe Rogan, who's the bro Oprah, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And he's selling uh, yeah. a lifestyle, but then, then he does his hour. You know, I think he does a pretty good job of separating that comedy guy, like his his stand up career from his the rest of it. But it's complicated, isn't it? It's 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 strange. And I think like something like Jon Stewart was ultimately like good because, hey, all these people otherwise would have not been consuming news are now informed. But what that really speaks to for me, and I've always said this is like we don't teach people how to consume news in school and we need to do that. Mm. Like, uh, it's like clearly like people ended up on comedy central getting their news. That's a failing of like society. <laughs> That's not like, it's great right. that that was a thing, but like if we don't have people that can realize like, you know, you scroll through Facebook, you have people, maybe a relative or something sharing news from something that's obviously not a news source. Like, if you can't delineate between the Washington Post and the National Enquirer, like, I don't. Like, yeah. That has to be taught. Crazy. So I, I, yeah. I just it, don't it, know. It's a wild time. You know, if you went back to somebody in 1999 and installed Facebook on their computer, they would think it was vi a virus. Yeah. Oh, we've we've willingly, like, given 
you know, we've willingly like given to a surveillance state like here. No, here's like literally everything about me. Unreal. Especially Facebook. Like my day job deals with Facebook and advertising on Facebook. And there's a reason Facebook is like one of the top play. You know, it's Facebook or like, you know, Google, yep. like in terms of ad money. Mm. And it's because Facebook knows you more than anything any other entity has ever been able to. They know mm. when you were born, they know like your life events. You literally tell that to Facebook. You're the, the, the specificity of targeting for ads on that platform is crazy. It is wild. You'd be surprised like down to income level, you know, what zip code you're in places you recently visited. You know, it, it's just crazy what, what data we've just sort of just given the people because of, oh, it's convenient. I think we could tie the need for comedy and the need to laugh and not take ourselves so seriously back to this anxiety that our generation is likely feeling around all this technology and this connectedness. Uh, I mean, you know, comedy club is one of those places it's, uh, where you turn your phone off. Yeah. Right. And those are becoming increasingly rare. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. That, that anytime now, I think uh, whenever I have an excuse to like, like not look at my phone for two to three hours, like it's a wonderful experience. Like whether it's like, like go see a movie or like what did I, I even did some like hippie ass shit the other week here. I did sound healing and a sound bath. I just like nice. And what I really connected to, like yeah, it's like a fucking out there like hippie thingy. But I was like, I'll give it a shot sure. on a recommendation from a friend. And like, but to be able to disconnect and like literally listen to like these sounds, it was like, oh fuck, I don't get to, I don't get to just not look at my phone that often. Yeah. And even I went to go see a movie on like Christmas Day, and I was, I, I had an urge to like look at my phone halfway through. Like it was, it's insane, and we, I love not doing that. Yeah, I need to get better at that for sure. I wonder if we're gonna look look back on this period and these smartphones and compare it to the cigarettes in Mad Men. We look at it and we go, my God, <laughs> how are they doing this? And the next generation is going to look back on this generation and we're going to go, oh my God, you know, you know, before we legislated against this, they were really addicted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? We were and, and, and that's the other thing with this, like the, the people being born now, what I'm most curious about is like, what sort of, re there has to be some sort of rebellion against it. And from like my perspective, what would bother me the most, if I was like a, you know, if I was just born over the last couple of years and then grow up and I you go into adolescence and you realize like pictures of you are just online oh, and yeah. have always been like without right. your consent, your parents have just like put your life out there. So I almost wonder if there's going to be like a contingent of people in 20 years who are like, no, I'm not online. Like I was put online. I didn't want to be there. And I just want to, you know, live my life outside of like, not yeah. just like a public view, but like, like it's everyone in your family. It's like, it's, it's, it's hyper public. There are probably some business opportunities in this, not to sound too mm -hmm. venal, uh, but even just for, for devices that, because if I could get something that wasn't so all inclusive, uh, as the smartphone that I have now, uh, that would just do GPS, text, maybe a little email, and quite mm -hmm. literally prohibit anything else. There might even be a market for that. Uh, if not now, then soon. 
I wonder what yeah. the yeah I wonder what the next generation device is going to look like because it's coming they're they're building them they they can't just keep releasing phones for the next thirty years it's going to be have have to be something something new I don't know is it going to be you know contact lenses or some sort of watch contact lens hybrid you don't know but I mean I'm sure there are smarter people than me working on it right now yeah that that's like and that like to me that's where I like feel old because I'm like oh, I would never want to like like put glasses on or have something that's always there like that. But I'm sure, but I'm sure people would have thought the same thing about the, about, you know, a cell phone. Like I don't want to always be reachable and there's some real, there's positives to that, but there's downsides. Like, especially if like think about people who work, you know, day jobs where like you're always connected to your job. Now you can always look at a job email and it's like almost impossible to turn off and relax because you're always like a ding on your phone away from like, going back to work. Yeah, I think it, it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of ability with the technology that most people don't have. I also think they've designed it that way. They've de- designed the, these devices, people with extremely intense PhDs working in collaboration have designed to maximize the addictiveness of these things. And they know it. They they, they don't hide that. That's what they that's what they set out to do and they achieved it. And so now here we are and nobody makes eye contact anywhere anymore. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, maybe it's not that bad. I'm not that cynical about it. You you know, one of the beautiful things is like, it's a choice, right? It's that constant thing. You have to invite the vampire in. So mm-hmm. self-discipline. And, you know, sometimes these, what would you call them? These little hacks, right? So you go do the sound bath or you go to the medica- meditation class or you go to, I don't care, church, go to mass, something. Put the thing yeah. away, you know. It's it is what it is. Hey, where are you coming from, uh, Jason? Uh, originally, are you you? Uh, how long have you been in LA? I've been in LA a little over five years now. Originally, uh-huh. I was from outside of Philadelphia, um, Lehigh Valley area, like Allentown. Um, and then I went to college in Philadelphia. Went to Temple University. And then, uh, yeah, a couple of years after graduation, I, I, I wandered out out here to most – a lot of it was to get away from the weather, you know? <laughs> Where What did you study? Uh, I studied – I went to the business school. I studied management information systems. So, like, basically my first semester in college, the two, that fall of 2008, was when the financial collapse sort of uh, happened. So, right. like, my mindset was, like, always, like, all right, I need to pick something that – will there will be a job for Mm. so Mm -hmm. like i sort of found my way into management information systems which is basically just a bridge between business and like the it world so a lot of the jobs are like project and product managers business analysts things that like hey i can communicate to developers working on an app but i can also understand the business needs of the two and sort of fuse them together yeah and there's job security in that for sure yeah Sometimes too much, you know, sometimes I feel like, ah, oh, I got a good job. It's sort of like, eh, maybe I won't go do that extra mic today. Uh, so it's, it's sort of that, you know, pull. I mean, mm. uh, when you're trying to do something creative of like, ah, uh, sometimes security isn't always the best you know, motivator mm. to push mm. you to go outside of your comfort zone. David Mamet says that in one of his books. I don't know if you know David Mamet, but he, uh, he's a great playwright. He wrote Glengarry Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. always be closing. He he says something like that. Uh, granted, he's a boomer, so a little different. But he, you know, he and he's he's also known for his hyperbole. But he was saying, "Don't have a backup plan. If you have a backup plan, you're you're always going to fall back on it. Go all in." And yeah, yeah, well, it makes total I mean, sense. You know, but at the same time, you got to you got to pay your bills, and you got to. I mean, rent in L.A. is not cheap. 
No, yeah, I live in a, I have a nice little closet of a room, but like it's perfect for me. I don't have a full kitchen. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I know New York's just sort of like the same way of like you can get what you can get. Yeah. Um, I sort of lucked out, but it, it's tough. It's real tough out here to find something livable and not in a shitty area, but, uh, you know, that can suit your needs. When I was back, I helped a friend of mine who, uh, she's actually an ex girlfriend of mine. We're still friends. And she, she was looking for places. She was living like in a, an old warehouse in right in downtown, South Central. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I don't want to go into numbers, but it was around 1100. And, I, you know, for a little studio. And I was like, okay, we got it. You know, it's a little dodgy around here. You know, it's just the kind of place where the, the Uber driver would drop her off and she would have them wait, that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, she looked at a place in Venice and she found a place quite literally on the beach uh, for a very good price that ended up being a one bedroom that was listed as a studio because of the way the, 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 the layout is. And I looked at her, we went in because the realtor was showing us around. I looked at her, I said, if you don't take this, I'm going to take it and move out to LA. <laughs> like it's so, wow. good. you can still find, you know, gems yeah. out there. Yeah. And where you are, it's so nice. Cause you're so close to the beach too, right? Like what you're like 15 minutes away. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, I'm one of the rare people I'm living without a car currently in half for the last few years. I'm probably going to have to bite the bullet and get a car soon, but it's so nice. Like I, I hop out. There's a bus stop right near my house. I can get down to Venice in in 15 minutes and not have to worry about parking and just do that. I'm probably after this, I'm probably going to go to Santa Monica. Like it's real. It's it's nice where I'm at. And then you're right. Those places exist. The problem with like finding a place, it's like shit. It's like a full time job to try to find a new place. So yeah, right. And then you uh, they want your the blood of your firstborn. deposit and all the rest yeah before i moved out here i never had to do first last and a security deposit like holy shit (laughs) yeah they're they're not wonder like there's a homeless problem (laughs) most people do not have this fucking money (laughs) yeah no doubt so tell me uh how long have you been doing stand-up uh so i've been doing stand-up i did started a couple months after moving out here so uh, about five years as well i'd say like the first the first year or so wasn't really doing it. It was like once a week. It wasn't a priority. But uh, in the last, I'd say like three and a half to four years, really ramping up at least two to three times a week and just sort of um, growing more and more. So uh, it's uh, it was something – I don't know if it's something that I always wanted to do. I think it was. I just didn't realize it. Like when I was – I remember – my parents watching a George Carlin special when I was like 10 or 11. And that certainly like made an impact on my mind. And I saw that and I was like, holy shit, like this is amazingly entertaining and very impressive. It's one man up there making like very salient points. And it wasn't just all funny, but he was like talking about real shit. And then I've always been a fan of stand up. I mean, you know, I think this is embarrassing. So, but like the blue collar comedy tour when I was in middle school, I was like, Oh, that's, Sure. That was funny to me. I mean, it, it Adam Sandler you know, stuff, like, all that people would, of course, yeah, you crack like, up. It just spoke to me. But then when near the end of high school, I just, I started to discover like Doug Stanhope was a big one. I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't even know these types of people existed, let alone they exist now. And they're on stage. Like to see him smoking a cigarette on stage and just like talking shit. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and so from there, college, definitely interested in comedy, didn't have the balls to do it or anything. But, uh, you know, again, like podcasts sort of broke down that barrier to me hearing people and comedians on podcasts. I was like, oh, shit, like I relate to them on a visceral level 
whether it's like their anxiety or like depression or feeling like, ah, there must be more. I was like, fuck, I, I really feel like I think like these people. So when I moved out here, I was like, hey, I made a big move like this. I moved across the country. Fuck it. I might as well keep doing shit I've always wanted to do. So I got on stage or I shouldn't say stage. It was a coffee shop in Long Beach. I got <laughs> stood next to a bookshelf and I fucking started talking. Did you pr- uh, prepare material? I did. I had I did. I think I had like five minutes of real bad material. I got, I think, a couple laughs. I was just so nervous that first time, like literally shaking with a piece of paper in my hand. But like that is still like I love that feeling like that feeling when you're nervous, but that there's like an end to it. It's not like an anxiety that's going to be holding on over you forever, but it's an anxiety that gets lifted when you get on stage and just like push through it and then you're done and you feel relieved. And, you know, now it's I well, hopefully people laughed. And if they do, that's what keeps me going. So like when somebody like you comes up to me, I've had a few times actually at that grocery store, like had a random woman buy me a beer that I'm like, Oh, I'm going to keep this in my fridge. Cause like, I've, that's never happened before. Yeah. Yeah. Or like seeing like I'm funny. So like when somebody <laughs> like you comes up and like compliment, it's like, it keeps comics like me going because for the most part, we're doing this in an incestuous way because it's just other comedians at open mics and even the shows out here. There's so many shows yeah. that like I run a show, um, occasionally on the west side but it, it's tough to get like a general audience when hey the comedy store is in hollywood sure you pay twenty dollars and you see literally killers. the best people to ever do that killers row murderers comedy the comedy store right now is mecca it really is and you yeah. said while you were here you went to yep. the, you went there right yeah who did you, who did you I, get I, go, I, I went see? to see uh sam triple i went to see the uh um the tinfoil hat and so i got oh. to see yeah i got to see tim dylan and oh, that was right he's before great. he's my favorite right now. He was that was right before uh, Halloween, and he he had the joke of the night, in my opinion. He said, "I'm gonna mm-hmm. go as Epstein's sex temple for Halloween," and, <laughs> and I you know I cracked up. And then a few days later, I'm looking at his Instagram, and he actually did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I saw that so, video. Like yeah, he's legend. amazing. He's amazing. He. I mean, for someone like me, I'm sort of aware of him this past year. And like, I mean, he, he, I think he was out in New York for a while. And now he's out in LA. Like he is, he's fantastic. Like it's, it's comedians like that where it's like, uh, it's a breath of fresh air. And I think somebody like him can actually like bridge some of those divides because it it's, he's taking shots everywhere and he's just, he's undeniably funny. Like I just can't see <laughs> right. somebody being like not like at least give you that like he's fucking funny he might be quote unquote offensive in some ways but like he is just fucking calling it as he sees him he's very long island and i Mm -hmm. respect the hell out of that (laughs) we're gonna see him here in march uh, i think at the is it the cellar he's doing he's doing a a bunch of dates so he he's having his moment for sure he he broke out it's really cool he he deserves it he totally does i bought his shirt and had a friend of mine, the shirt he has that's, uh, I'm going to fanboy out a little bit, but that, it says uh, Life in the Big City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I posted it and he, he roasted me. He was like, uh, this guy gets questioned 
every time there's a murder in his town. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and I would show it to my friends, you know. And if you don't understand comedy, you'd be like, oh, man, why is he taking the piss out of me? Yeah, why is he giving me a What a dick. Yeah, and it's like, no, that's That's, that's, that's like exactly the biggest compliment what in the you, world. <laughs> right. That's exactly what you want. That's You want to get roasted by Tim Dillon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned Carlin, right? Mm-hmm. Man, his, uh, his daughter's pretty active on Twitter. I don't know if you follow Kelly Carlin, but she's out there and uh, pretty pretty sweet. And very into meditation and does her own stuff. She talks about her dad sometimes. Uh, so she's an interesting follow if you don't follow her. He's great. He, I think people forget he's one of those fellows who, I mean, again, going back to Mark Twain, I think you can draw a line between Twain and Carlin. Not least for the fact that Carlin, during a crazy, crazy period in the 80s where the evangelicals were kind of dominant culturally, the way the crazy SJW left is now – People forget in the 80s, it was the religious people who were dictating speech and morals and mm-hmm. all the rest. And Carlin made it okay to be an atheist. He was yeah. the kind of urbane uh, atheist guy. Do you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. That, and and honestly, like my even thought, like growing up, I would come from like suburban, you know, like I said, outside of Philadelphia. Even like I'm 30 now. So when I started thinking about this shit, you know. This was like, you know, 15, 16 years ago. I I didn't know the, the amount of atheists out there. It was not a huge number. So when I discover somebody like George Carlin or like even like uh, like I know Penn, Penn Gillette a lot. I, start, I watched their show Bullshit on Showtime yeah. and Doug Stanhope. Like I started to think about that in a way that I, I hadn't even I didn't even know that was an option before not to believe in God. Like, you know, like <laughs> right. you're growing up, you just oh, my friends go to church and like, well, they wouldn't do that if it was like fucking bullshit. But like you and but you open your mind a little bit outside of like that little bubble you grow up and you're like, oh, shit, like these people aren't thinking about it. Like, I'm not judging the way they live, but I don't even think they've examined how they live. I think they're literally doing this because this is how the generation before them did it. So discovering somebody like Carlin and like Bill Maher to, to, to like the same extent and watching and show real time, like when I was growing up, I was like, oh, like there's different ways to think about that. And like a lot of these people leading that are comedians. So it's like very important that, you know, comedians say their piece because Although not always should they be taken seriously, like there are truth gems of truth there that like somebody like me took on and like it made me not just made me like an agnostic or atheist like that doesn't really matter in my life, but like made me examine things in a way I otherwise would not have. Yeah, there's a quality of the almost they're philosophers, right? Bill Hicks. Absolutely. Bill Hicks was a yes. modern American prophet philosopher guy. And there's a tendency to take his legacy a little too seriously because of how quickly he he went. Yeah. But it's still there. And if you go you go over to the UK and you mention Doug Stanhope or you mention Bill Hicks, they all know they all know who those guys are. They're in a way Doug Stanhope is bigger in the UK than he is here. He's almost a household name over there. Here he's a little more little more fringe. Uh, yeah, that's wild. And I know that about Bill Hicks, too. Like, he sort of gained hold in in England in a way that he just never did in America. And yeah. it's a shame. Like, somebody like him, you know, died so young because it would be so interesting just oh. to see his, progress, his progress and, and the way his thoughts, like, and the opportunities oh. here. Like, a podcast would have been perfect for him. Oh, like, that, you, like oh. it would have been absolutely perfect. It would have been, like, 
I can't even – there's nothing to compare it to. I don't think anybody's doing what he would have done sure. on a podcast. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, you, you know? can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. Uh, I like Doug Stanhope's podcast a lot. It's like a white trash soap opera. <laughs> I've been listening to it a lot, but when I yeah. have, it has been the, the the cast of characters he seems to have found along the way, and then live in that town he's in seems <laughs> yeah. hilarious. In and yeah, of I, I, I again, I, I mean that in a loving way. It's absolutely it's, if you grow up a certain way in America and you listen to that podcast, he's like, oh, I know those guys. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I know these people. They're talking yeah. about growing up in, you know, Massachusetts or Alaska or, or Arizona and getting out of the military and being suicidal and all of this. You just go, yep, yep. I, I, I can log into Facebook and, and gather a similar menagerie of people. But here's the, here's the thing. I don't want to. I never would. So just let Doug Stanhope do that. <laughs> just let Doug, Doug do that. I love that guy. He's such a great comedian. I've seen him a number of times. And uh remember when my friend first showed me uh, No Refunds, his special, it was like mm-hmm. – just this complete cleansing for my brain. My mother had just passed away and I was in graduate school in this very heady creative writing program. And like, I just, we, we got a little stoned. He put that on and I remember it was like, okay, I got to get back to some, some, something a little more real, something a little more grounded, mm-hmm. you know, and speak your mind and, and say your truth. And not everybody's going to like you or agree with you, but at least you, you said it while you were here, you know, yeah, that's yeah. all, that's all you can really do. Um, and that's, you know, not to keep harping, but I think like uh, more I think about it, like I think podcasts are definitely I'm so happy they exist because I, I think you get like those crazy cast of characters, um, but also just like unfiltered thought in a way that just wasn't. I mean, even 10 years ago, it was just not the, the same. Like right now you can find a niche for anything you're into in a podcast. We can also sort of find a podcast that reflects like the friend dynamics you've had growing up. So like you go on and you're just sort of sitting in a conversation of like a group of friends. And that, that to me is amazing. I agree. I really dig it. And uh, I have some ideas for other formats for podcasts that I'm going to start batting around soon. I love doing this interview format. It's, really refreshing. And I'm, you know, I meet a guy like you. I really like what you're doing. Oh yeah. We hit it off and I say, Hey, come on the show. And then some months later we're, we're chatting on a podcast. What's better than that? I mean, try to, you know, 20 years ago, this would have taken a studio and who knows an engineer. And now I'm sitting here with Skype and I think the, I think the quality is uh, decent. Uh, You know, we, we may be, yeah, yeah. We may be on the radio in London in 2020. It's a whole thing. Uh, Yeah. And I'm getting this out of a hundred dollar microphone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. The, the sound quality we have now, the, even just, I mean, like the cameras on our phone is better than a camcorder you could have gotten for $3,000 10 years ago. Like right. there are some definitely like positives. If you're a creative person, you want to make shit. Like I was able to like take a video from a stand up set, put captions on it, throw it on fucking Instagram and Twitter in the matter of an hour. Like that's, you know, that's great. Like we're people are producing the content that you used to you used to have gatekeepers for and gatekeepers that make bad decisions and wrong decisions and put the put shitty people, you know, out, out there. You know, I, I keep like one of the my other big comedic influences in my life, Howard Stern. Like I love his show and yeah. I loved him for a long time. And, and that's just amazing. Like the fight he had to put up with just to like be the best 
radio broadcaster ever. Like, the shit he had to do when it was just like, no, he's going to get ratings. Let him do this, dumbasses. Like, there's no, like, you're going to make money off of this. Giving him shit is not going to help anything. Yeah, for sure. I forget how much of a pioneer he, he was and how, how important he is. I was never a huge fan, but I respect him and that whole world that kind of kicked off from there. Uh, I mean, Joey Diaz, he's fantastic. Uh, oh, jo- yeah. yeah. Joey Diaz is like an absolute he's another person that like I really, you know, six or seven years ago got pretty far into just be like, he's just, he's just a crazy person and it's (laughs) fantastic. It's fantastic. He's He's so truthful and authentic. Yeah. It's incredibly refreshing. I mean, and he's, that guy has been, he went through some stuff, went to prison, felony kidnapping and he comes out and he's, he's the guy that like of all the comedians that I've taken, let's say girlfriends out to over the years, uh, he's the one where even the most uptight, let's say liberal person comes out going, that guy was great. And you're like, what is it about him that makes him more palatable than say somebody else? Right. So you'll have like Bill Burr will rub, rub somebody the wrong way, but Joey mm-hmm. Diaz doesn't. And it's like, it's just cause he's, I mean, and I'm not comparing Bill Burr to Joey Diaz. It's just, there's something about Joey Diaz that I don't know. He just seems to cross all boundaries, uh, even though he's a prickly pair too, you know, he, but he just, I don't know. But I, you know, Bill Burr can really, I fucking love Bill Burr. And I, I got mm-hmm. to see him pop in uh, at the West Side Comedy Club here. And it was an all, no night, shit. it was an all women's lineup that night. And uh, <laughs> he, he actually <laughs> contributed to a bit of a, bit of a falling out I had with my then girlfriend. <laughs> it was like, that oh, was sort wow. of, it was a whole thing. But Bill Burr was amazing. It was crazy, man. He pops in and like, we're in this. Have you been to the West Side Comedy Club? I haven't, dude. It's like a uh, probably seats a hundred, uh, and it's just regular old chairs like you'd have at a VFW. And there's a little bar. It's mm-hmm. in a basement underneath a uh, like a taco place, like a margarita taco place. And it's a, an all women's lineup. And okay, here we are. And then there is no back row. It's all front row, and it's kind of got the quality of a bit of a bachelorette party vibe. And mm-hmm. I look back, and here's this bald guy with a Fu Manchu mustache sitting in the in the dark. And the MCs were playing around with, like, dicks in a bucket or some something. And they were playing games and doing crowd work. Fine. Fine. Uh, you know, it was sort of what we signed up for. But then they, they brought up the, you know, they brought up the opener, brought up the, the second act. And then they were like, now we've got a very special, you know, surprise for you, Bill Burr. And I'm sitting, like... 15 feet away from Bill Burr. He's making <laughs> eye contact. You know, the, the, the guy opposite me is make, looking at me going, oh, it's Bill Burr. It's Bill Burr. And he does, you know, 20 minutes of material. He actually walked a couple of uh, couple of women. He pissed them off a couple of people. <laughs> Sit them up and walked walked them out. That's guy amazing. Jawing. Yeah, he's that guy's a legend. Love that guy. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see Tim Tim, Tim Dillon. Yeah, Joey Diaz is great. Uh, the Yeah, Tim Dillon was, was definitely the highlight for me of the uh, – the tinfoil hat night, although Sam Tripoli did give me a high five. That was pretty cool. Uh, I went and washed my hands after <laughs> <laughs> like a little hand sanitizer. Well, what are some of the, so what are some of the top podcasts that you listen to the comedy podcasts, uh, Jason? Um, let me pull up on my phone right now. Yeah, pull like, so up. yeah, Joey Diaz is definitely like comedy wise. Number one. Um, I started listening to Artie Lang's new podcast. Oh, he's Artie Lang's Halfway House. Yeah, he's he's been through the ringer. Yep, yep. So he's always fun to listen to. Uh, Brooke Kreischer's podcast I like. He's a very 
Um, he's somebody who's who I probably would never have watched his stand up if I didn't listen to his podcast. And it's the other thing I think podcasts do quite well is like it it ties you to somebody personally and you give maybe their stand up a shot if you want it or you see it things from their perspective and it helps you enjoy it. And his I was like, oh, he's just a guy who takes his shirt off and like yells. But like the authenticity he has and like how he speaks to people and open honesty is on there. I love that. Um, what else? And then I'd say uh, the one, Joe Rogan, I occasionally listen to depending on the guest. A couple of like the big ones though for me lately, Tuesdays with stories. Um, that's hosted by Joe List and Mark Normand. If you haven't seen Mark Normand yet, I tell everyone just YouTube his late night sets. He's probably the best joke writer today. Nice. Like, He's absolutely fantastic. And then uh, a podcast that's called Come Town. I don't know if you've heard of this podcast. <laughs> I think I've heard of I think I've heard of that. Yeah, I'm adding these. Come Town. It's like uh, three dudes, like the early 30s, um, just just sort of riffing and just saying outrageous dumb shit. That reminds me of the, the outrageous dumb shit I used to say with my friends, you know, back east. Yeah. So that that's like a love just sort of a hangout podcast and they're just like riffing and doing bits that are like absolutely like not acceptable by today's standards. So it's, it's, it's refreshing to like hear people talk how myself and my friends talked um, like in college. And although we didn't always use like the, you know, I've been, I'm like, I probably won't use those words anymore. Um, (laughs) Right. But like there was never hate behind anything. And it's refreshing to have like people still like, talk like humans and not just like, Oh, what am I? Uh, should I say this or not say this? Yeah. Not and everybody just sort of like, yeah, not everybody has to talk, <clears throat> has to talk like they're in grad school or it's a no. job interview or yeah, you're right. There is something refreshing about that, that honesty of, of, of the speech. Yeah. Or worry like, Oh fuck. If I say this now in 10 years, will this ruin an opportunity? It's just, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. The landscape we live in when it comes to that stuff. So it's refreshing when people are just themselves and open and honest. So those are some of my favorites. I dig what it. What about you? Yeah. Well, obviously I like get this, get this podcast.com. We're on iTunes, Absolutely. Spotify and Stitcher. And, uh, you know, while we're at it, where can people find you, Jason? Yeah, sure. Um, Instagram, uh, J Paul, one seven two three that's where you can find me there i post the shows i have coming up uh i'll post stand-up videos instagram stories everything if you're in la follow that come see a show um doing a show actually january 10th at the fanatic salon theater down the street from where you met me at a cool like 50 seat theater i uh, got a lineup of great comics we do this uh, a couple fridays every month that's a great show to check out. And then on Twitter, uh, that J that J Paul T H A T J A Y P A U L. Follow me there. I post stuff there. And then um, also the show I run is uh, on Instagram and Twitter at the show show underscore the show show underscore. So um, check check those out if you guys want to follow me on social media. So you said that J Paul. Uh, um, yeah, J A Y P A U L. Oh uh, yeah, there's a different guy. All right, let me find you. J-A-Y. Yeah, found you. I'm already following you. Right on. Yeah, cool. So I really like uh, Ray Kump, who is one of Tim Dillon's buddies. They used to do the podcast together, and then they he comes on Tim's podcast regularly. But uh, Ray and his girlfriend, Lucy Steiner, have a podcast called Our Love is Disgusting. <laughs> and oh, I'll check this and out. it's a baby podcast. They've only done 23 of them so far. But uh, 
it's pretty funny. It's two comedians and they're just, they're in love and they bang and they're disgusting. <laughs> and they that's, talk. Yeah. That's a good person. Yeah. That's something like never would have existed. Two people in a relationship just talk, talking openly about shit. Perfect. I will definitely check that yeah, out. Yeah, that's great. So the show show, what's the, what's the story behind that? So this is a, this is uh, the show. You run? So yeah, it's a show I run with my buddy Shannon O'Donnell. Uh, he runs probably the best open mic on the West Side. I think I confidently say, and definitely like the funnest hang on a Friday night if you're ever in LA or if you want to try comedy. Um, it's not always the greatest first time up room, but like it's a fucking wonderful place to see comedy. Um, that the shit show happens ten thirties or ten o'clock every Friday um, at the Fanatic Salon Theater. That's in Culver City. Um, and then what we do occasionally when there's uh, when the, the room isn't rented out beforehand is we'll do the show show. So it's the shit show after it. But before this is the real show, the show show, we book five or six comedians, um, ones that we love, ones that do well at the open mics we see around town and just, you know, let them let them rip. And uh, yeah, we you know, it you the, all sorts of comedy, not really. You know, we're really leaning one way or the other, but we do have some fantastic comedians like uh, Fonto. Uh, he's a comedian in L.A. He's fantastic. If you're looking for like non-PC comedy, that he's he's absolutely great, and we've had him on. And we're just trying to build this thing. It's like, hey, it's Friday night. You're on the West Side. Not a lot of comedy happening. Come on down the Fanatic Salon Theater, and we'll uh, you know we'll give you a full night of comedy. That's one of the things I like about LA. LA. I don't know it that well. The city, I've only been there a few times. But the, the more time I spend there, the more I appreciate how people are aware that you don't want to always travel. And so there's a lot to mm-hmm. do. It seems like if you find the right neighborhood, there's stuff going on in these little pockets. Right? Is that yeah, a good description? It, uh, absolutely. It's uh, LA, to me, isn't even like a city. It's like a city of cities. So like you're going to... If you're on the west side, like you usually stay on the west side and you date people from the west side <laughs> right. and you'd like your job to be on the west side. And that's like one of the, to me, a negative of L.A. where like a New Yorker affiliates like, all right, I can hop on the subway and move. And I navigate it quite well. But I understand a lot of people don't want to like hop on the bus. But um, yeah, so it, it's just like a sit. Definitely like the west side is an area. Hollywood's its own thing don't even like who knows what's going on in the valley like that's a whole another place it's just la is such a sprawling city that it's really tough like moving out here i was like oh i want to live in la but i didn't i just didn't know like what the that doesn't fucking mean anything like there's (laughs) so many cities here yeah and then i originally ended up in long beach was like i didn't really know this was a real place i thought snoop Dogg just sort of said long beach like i didn't know this was a fucking real city but yeah. it was and it was yeah. dope so that L- it, it, there's two sides of that coin but like there is like a sort of a, a vibe or a city that matches everybody you just got to find that neighborhood and then hopefully get a job and an apartment apartment there that's the that's the tough part right because you don't want to end up in traffic 90 minutes both ways oh, yeah, five times a week. yeah lose your mind hey so i was watching the greatest christmas movie of all time on christmas eve i was watching die hard and <laughs> there's a view because of course that's in century city and yep. there's one shot that looks over toward the west from from the tower from nakatomi plaza mm-hmm. and and the first time I stayed in L.A., I stayed on Olympic Boulevard in this little apartment. It was fine. Airbnb. Nothing to write home about, but it did the job. And there was a Ralph's right near there. 
And the view from this one shot in Die Hard looks out over Olympic Boulevard, and the same Ralphs is there. It's <laughs> and I'm like, I know that Ralphs. It's very strange. It's this very uncanny to know a place, and you know, and you go, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the cool thing is like, uh, I love now that I'm here. Like, I can I love watching like certain like Tarantino movies, especially. It's like oh, holy yeah. shit! Like, th- this is I'm rewatching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and. Uh, I'm, it's so cool. Like, I'm, oh, shit, I've been there. I've been there. Like, you can p- point this stuff out. You know exactly where it is. And, it, like, especially his movies, a lot of them are, like, you know, Jackie Brown takes place in the South Bay, which is a lot of people in L.A. don't, you know, who come visit don't go down there. But you have sort of a contextualization of all these places. It's really cool watching, like, media, especially back then when everything was filmed in L.A. to, like, being like, oh, shit, like, I know where all this stuff is. Yeah, I feel that way about New York, having lived here for six years now, uh, having come from the Midwest and then Texas. You know, now I watch any number of films and you just get references that you wouldn't get otherwise. And there is a a pleasure to be had in that. L.A. is cool. It's so big. It's so sprawling. Mm It's obvious things to say, but it's like I just I'm not a big car guy. So I I think it would be I would have to organize my life in a very sort of close fashion i think i would probably end up out west yeah i think i'd end up in you know in santa monica or maybe a little more inland uh depending on what the what the rent is but uh i don't know if that's in the cars cards for me right now but one of the great things about being able to do a podcast is i can do it from anywhere and uh you know as long as somebody's got a good internet connection we're able to connect and do something like this it's very uh very cool we live in this age this is getting back to something we were talking about maybe 10 minutes ago there really aren't any excuses anymore are there what excuse no. do you have right now to if, if you say I'm creative and I got all these ideas? It's like, well, okay, all right. <laughs> what do yeah, you- <laughs> there's there's zero. Yeah, and like it's not even just like I'm creative. If you think you're funny, like you can be lazy and creative at the same time. Now, like last night, I was on Twitch streaming a video game. Like it, that counts. Like I don't know if it should, but like you can fucking like. Play a video game and broadcast yourself. There you go. You made content. It's most likely not going to be great, but God, at least it's something. Like it, it's there are no excuses. Or like pull up the voice recorder on your phone and speak into it, and just like start doing something. It the barrier to entry has never ever ever been lower. And I mean that means there's more stuff to compete with. But man, if you could, I've went down some YouTube rabbit holes. There are niches that I did not even know existed. So, like, you just got to find your niche. And if your niche happens to align with, like, something that people are interested in, like, you can gain traction. It just takes, you know, that time and effort. But uh, the initial, like, entry into it, it's nothing now. Yeah, just you have to have the the stones to get up in front of people and go through that shaking and that uh, if you want to, you know, do comedy. There was a really funny tweet because I've always flirted with the idea of doing it. I'm not angling to, you know, for coaching or anything, but um, somebody said uh, on Twitter and I wish I could credit them. But the, the tweet was, if you see anyone over 30, if you see somebody over 35 in an open mic, call the police. <laughs> it's like that is that is funny um i want to go ahead jason no but i was just gonna say do it like anybody who wants to do comedy just fucking do it it's worth it it's uh it would be terrifying but like it's at like for me after doing comedy i'm much less you know a job interviews a lot less nerve-wracking going up to talk to a girl at a bar is not is less nerve-wracking if you can go on stage and bomb completely and walk off 
and wake up the next day, like what the fuck else is there to be afraid of? Like if you can, t- I, I know it's sort of like a negative spin on it, but like you're going to get humiliated doing stand up, but like you're not going to come out weaker for it. You're just going to come out stronger. So if anybody has any inclination to do it, I say do it. Like worst case scenario, you're going to become a slightly better public speaker and you're going to be got to have a cool story to tell people. And if you were coaching, let's say somebody you know, like a young person who wanted to do it for the first time, what would you tell them? Just do. I mean, just do it. That's really the only thing because the the preparation for your first time is almost it's not important. What's important is going up and getting the first few times out of the way. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you should have like, hey, have five minutes ready to go. But like, don't 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 over um, indulge yourself trying to get like the perfect five minutes before you go up. Like the barrier there is just get up, go get it over with. And then you can start, you learn so much from doing it um, from what for, if you start going to open mics, the amount of comedy you start to see is nauseating. Like it's just too much, but you learn so quickly that way. Mm. And you can find stuff like, Oh, I, you know, that style works that doesn't. And you just start to learn and take things in, in a way that like watching specials can't replicate because when you're watching something on a Netflix or an HBO, like this is a crowd that went to see that person and they paid for that person. Like you are not that expectation is insane to have if you're going to go do an open mic. Nobody came to pay to see you. They don't know who the fuck you are. You know, you're going to have to find your own path to make people laugh. And it's just, you know, you're going to build resiliency real quick. But my number one suggestion, just go up and do it and just start, you know, start learning from there because there isn't one way like there's fucking, you know. There's wildly successful comedians that use puppets. Like, I don't fucking understand that. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make any goddamn sense to me, but it's working. Carrot Top has a residency for the past 20 years. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't either. But Jason, uh, let, let's get out of here. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back on sometime. What What's next for you? Uh, you know, let's go for another minute or two. I just want to ask one more question. Like, what, what's next for you? What's your end game? You know, what's coming for you in 2020? Uh, my end game is I want to, you know, pay the bills doing comedy in some way, shape, or form. I'm, uh, I'm a whore to a certain extent. So it could be I'll write on a shitty TV show on Nickelodeon. For $40,000 a year, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, I want to just grind, continue to get better on stage and start, you know, paying bills, doing comedy. And most importantly, uh, that's like the end goal, but like just to keep doing it because it, it is, if I don't do comedy for a few days, I feel it in my mind. I go a little crazy. So I just want to keep enjoying the process. I dig it, man. I like what you're saying. I'm going to call this this episode Bomb and Walk Off if that works for you. Does that work for you? <laughs> that works. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. This is Get This, uh, the podcast about things people love. You can get it at getthispodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Jason, one more time, plug your, plug your next date and uh, one of your uh, socials. Cool. All right. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, you can catch me at the show show January 10th, uh, Fanatic Salon Theater, 830 Come out. Um, I'm on Twitter at that J Paul, J A Y P A U L, and I'm on Instagram, J Paul1723. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Cool. Later. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye bye.
Thank you.